The object is to make people everywhere conscious of the importance of human rights and freedoms. You're listening to the Caravan of Hope podcast. Peace, safety and well-being for every human being on earth. Let them be justice for all. Let them be peace for all. Let them be work, bread, water and salt for all. Kia ora and welcome to the Caravan of Hope with me, Brent Caldwell. And me, COVID Omatic. Um, this week we're going to um, demystify our podcast a wee bit. We've made some assumptions and being newbies in this technology, we're learning every week. We've had some listener feedback asking about who are we and also asking about the wee sting that we have at the start of the podcast. So um, let's begin by maybe telling people a wee bit about ourselves. So um, COVID-O, I'll throw over to you. Um, where are you from, covid I'm originally from England brought up near Birmingham, but my family all came from Devon, which is in the southwest of England. And how on earth did you end up living in Aotearoa, Dunedin? Well, I was a Buddhist monk for about 10 years, and in the last six months I was travelling around India, and I ran into this Kiwi woman. Aha. Uh-huh. And you moved back here with her? I did. And have you lived here ever since? I have lived in Dunedin ever since, yeah. And so um, I guess... And I must say, I'm very happy to live in Dunedin. It's a wonderful place, lots of opportunity, and so wonderful beaches, so close. Mm. So I guess, um, how is it that we're here making a podcast about um, peace and um, humanitarian causes? I mean, obviously, being a Buddhist monk, you'll have some skin in that particular game, but um, what is it that's brought you to take this action? Well, no, actually, as a Buddhist monk, I didn't. As a Buddhist monk, I retreated from the world and with the view of that a lot of the problems we have in the world are caused, as Buddhists would say, through greed, hatred and delusion. And I believe that if I got to the roots of greed, hatred and delusion in myself, then uh, somehow that would magically affect the world. But after 10 years of doing that, I'm not sure I necessarily got to the roots, so I can't say whether that theory was correct or not. But the world actually hadn't changed very much. So um, I've come back to more social action. And part of that was through doing the first year of the social sciences course at Otago Polytechnic, where they emphasise we are agents for change. Okay. I didn't really like that term, but I, I'm kind of doing it now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, what, and what about you, Brent? Well, um uh, what about me? Where were you born? Um, I was born uh, in um, Winton, down in Southland. My parents were farmers and grew up in uh, Winton and Invercargill. Came to university here in Dunedin and then travelled the world and came back and um, have raised um, my family here. And um, I've, for the last three years, I've been a student at the University of Otago. Um, but prior to that, I was an educator, so I've taught for about 35 years. I was a principal for about 20 years of that. And now I've um, sort of stepped back from that. I've got the time to um, take part in little projects like this, which is very interesting. I'm an expert on absolutely nothing. I've travelled a fair bit. I've been to, I don't know, 50-plus countries around the world. I've had some... Um, 
real experiences looking and watching and observing how people live their lives and I'm a bit like you really I come back to Dunedin and I think yeah we're, we're pretty lucky to be living here yeah so yeah I've been away and I've come back and I've got some opinions on things but I'm no expert in anything well, uh, we do need a bit of expert advice because one of the words you used was something about a sting. And for those of us who are not experts in <laughs> radio technology, uh, what does sting mean? Well, a sting is just a little bit of music and maybe some words that you'd have at the start of a, a radio show or a podcast. Um, so, so is that what I might call a jingle in the could, old days? Yeah, jingle's more about um, buying things and, oh, okay. and getting an earworm in your head. I, I have to... Um, admit that for a small and disturbed time I was a radio announcer. Oh, okay. I worked for Southlands Fours a day and did their weekly school board program. So oh, um, well, there we my, go. In my first year of teaching. So that's maybe why I have an interest in broadcasting and, and things like that. So very good. Yeah. good. Pick the right man. <laughs> I don't know about and actually, that. Actually you picked yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and of course we met um, through um, the Southern Insight um, meditation retreats at, at Staveley. Uh, right. We travelled up there and and um, and had a, a very, very nice time. And for those of you who've never had the chance to take a, a, a silent retreat, I can heartily recommend it. Yeah. And following on from that, we've set up our own little meditation group, which um, I am an ex-officio member of this year. <laughs> Well, we're hoping for a guest appearance tonight. Well, I'm very, I'm very hopeful. <laughs> so you mentioned the sting, and um, I think you'd sort of said that the voices, um, who are they? Yeah. And um, when we first met to talk about this podcast, we talked about the 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 way that um, the situation in Gaza is 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 shining a real bright light on the United Nations. And I remembered that there'd been quite a, a famous speech by um, Eleanor Roosevelt called The Struggle for Human Rights around about 1948. And I thought that's a nice little start. Um, she wasn't a public speaker, but she was very, very strong in advocating for things to happen. And so um, that's why I put that wee sting of her talking in there. And then... Um, you know, you look remarkably young to have remembered that speech from 1948. <laughs> yes, well, I have a very good moisturising regime. No, no. Um, I did a search on um, through the American uh, Library, Congress Library, or Library, yeah. American Library of Congress, is it? And, and found some lovely, lovely stuff there. And then thought, in my own time, um, thinking about, um, you know, things that have happened in my lifetime, um, probably the release of Nelson Mandela was, was yeah. quite a, a big thing. And I remember he gave this very, very unexpectedly forgiving speech um, mm. when he was um, released. And to me, yeah. that, um, that really struck a chord with me. So at the end of um, our little piece of music, um, you hear him say that we, everyone just wants to live in peace, have work, have bread, have salt. And I thought, yeah, that, that's, you know, if, if the, I had one wish, it would be that everyone on the planet could have access to, to those types of things. So yeah. to me, that's probably amazing. That, that's why I think it's a, a nice wee intro and outro for our podcast. OK. Well, um, now I had some homework last week. Oh, OK. And um, if you remember, um, I still haven't heard anything from our good friend, Mr. Lux, and I, I did email him and I got his automatic reply within about 10 seconds. 
He's been very busy this week going around the country and visiting hotspots, but um, uh, maybe other people have been inspired to email their MPs? They may be. I know for certain that um, I also emailed uh, Winston Peters, oh, yeah. and I think a significant number of people must have done, because he has actually spoken up for a ceasefire. OK, so for as, those of you who are... our foreign minister, our foreign minister. Yeah, for those of you who are listening maybe outside of um, New Zealand, yeah, Winston Peters is um, the third wheel in our coalition government and he is the Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Minister. So, um, yeah. and he has come out mm. as the Foreign Minister? Yeah. OK, well, that's, that's progress. Um, I did some work about um, women in executive positions in government. Yeah. and um, just saw that there's uh, 26 countries where uh, women serve as um, heads of state. And um, it's quoted as saying that New Zealand is one of the countries that have a high percentage of women um, in parliament. And, and this particular page, the, um, the UN's page on women, obviously hasn't updated post the um, New Zealand elections this year. So I'll do some extra homework on that. But... Um, yeah, we're big hitters in terms of the balance of um, gender within our parliament. So That's great, isn't it? And, and if you're wondering why we're speaking about this, in the first programme you said we need more women uh, in, in power uh, yeah. because they are um, more, more inclined to seek peaceful resolutions. More inclined to sit down and talk to each other, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... And, and interestingly enough, you said that the country that had the most women was Rwanda. Yeah, yeah. In their lower house, they have something like um, 58%, I think. Some, don't, don't quote me on that, but it, it, was a large, uh, it was a large number. And, and if you had asked me to guess the country, I might have gone for somewhere in Scandinavia thinking that, you know, someone like Finland yeah, or Denmark. You did ask me to guess, and I said Iceland or Finland. Ah, there you go. Who I think are probably up there, but not not quite as far ahead as that. Okay. So without all our sort of administration out of the way, um, what are we going to chat about today? Well, we're going to have an update, really, of, of where things are. And on Saturday, I went on the Peace March. Um, and it's, it's sad. This is the first Peace March that's happened since the end of the ceasefire. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd all been hoping so much that the ceasefire was going to continue. I think the whole world, well, 99.9% of it, perhaps there's a, a very small percentage in Israel and maybe elsewhere, I'm not sure. But um, we all wanted the ceasefire to continue. Anyhow, on, on this march, it was well attended. Um, I don't know, three or 400 people, I'm not sure, not good at numbers. Um, and at the start, the, one of the organisers was saying, well, you know, we're not only here to demonstrate for peace, we're actually mourning all the people who've died. And in the last week, there's another, I don't know how many people have died in the last week, but the official numbers are now 17,000 dead and of whom 7,000 children, 6,000 are women. Mm. And there's another 7,000 missing under the rubble like there. You know, this specific targeting that the Israeli government says they're doing is just basically blowing up whole loads of buildings 
in you know some of its hospitals and some of its schools and some of its places where they've said they'll be safe. In fact, all those places, but they they keep bombing. Unfortunately, mm. I see the Guardian reports that sixty one percent of the Gaza deaths from airstrikes are civilians, and that kind of builds on um, what we were talking about um, last week about um, collateral damage. Oh yeah, I don't know how they how they managed to say that, but anyhow, mm. I'm not sure how you figure it out. Yeah. Okay, so um, be interested to hear what the Hamas said. How many deaths they have actually? Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Um, and people were talking, you know, people from Gaza. There was a young woman from Gaza who'd left four years ago. I believe she'd got a degree in nutrition. I'm not sure whether she did that in Gaza before she left or since she came to New Zealand. And she was just talking. She was in tears talking about, you know, having some communication with friends and relatives and hearing of relatives who've died and a friend, a young friend of hers who was 21-year-old woman, um killed is no longer there and as she said her only crime is is for being palestinian mm. you know she's not she's not a revolutionary and most of the people who've been killed are not they're not revolutionaries they're just normal palestinians who just want to live a normal life you know mm. and then there was another heart-rending story of um a woman who was nine months pregnant and needed to go to hospital and her husband took her there and the the Israeli soldiers argued with her and he said, well, look, you know, just, just let her go in. I don't need to go in. And they refused. Then they kind of taunted them and then they shot them um, and then they ran over them with a tank. Oh, my Lord. Which is horrendous. Mm. And, the, and there are just so many stories coming out of different families... Um, in particular around journalists. It seems like journalists are being targeted by the Israelis. Mm. My guess is they don't want us to see the atrocities that are being committed. Um, they're so bad now, what's happening there. Mm. Um, and you hear quite frequently of, you know, journalists' whole family, there was one on the news, like 22 relatives had been killed. He was still alive. Uh, but I think there's about... 60, 60 journalists have been killed so far in, in Gaza. Um, and we're getting more and more kind of their last writings or their last poems coming up. Mm. Um, and there was also a poet and teacher who's well-known in Palestine called Rafat al And this was his last poem. I feel very tearful, actually. Would you like me to read it? Yeah. Okay. Um, if I must die, you must live to tell my story, to sell my things, to buy a piece of cloth and some strings, make it white with a long tail, so that a child somewhere in Gaza, while looking heaven in the eye, awaiting his dad who left in a blaze and bid no one farewell, not even to his flesh, not even to himself, sees the kite, my kite you made flying above, and thinks for a moment an angel is there, bringing back love. If I must die, let it bring hope. Let it be a tale. So this is a poem that was written by poet and teacher Rifat Alaria, who was killed just this week.
Mm. Yeah, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. And as well as killing people, they're also... Um, as we know, they they kind of turn off power quite a long time ago. Um, they limit the water and they're limiting the food. On the the last thing I looked, they're allowing about up fifty to hundred trucks a day in to Gaza. Before Gaza, before the war, five hundred aid trucks were coming in a day. Mm. So this is a tenth of what they had. Mm. And uh, the United Nations are now saying more than half of the population are in danger of starvation or are not having, not eating every day, which is, I guess, that's starvation, isn't it? And it's worth remembering that um, it, seasonally it's moving into the very cold season over there. The nights, I can tell you from first-hand experience, I was in Jerusalem for Christmas one year mm. thinking I'd go to Manger Square and um, on the West Bank and it was freezing. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, so the nights get very, very cold. and. Yeah. I can only imagine what it's like um, for um, mothers with children and, and families just trying to cobble together just the, the basics. Um, and over 50% of the dwellings in Gaza have been destroyed. Mm. You know, that's, that's not like hit a little bit. This is destroyed. If you look at the pictures, you just see this, this like whole streets where there used to be apartment blocks and there's just rubble. And they say there's another 7,000 people Missing, who are presumably under the rubble. Mm. You know, if you have a, a five-storey apartment block is collapsed and there's people in there, you know. Because they say, go off to this safe area, like a refugee camp or something mm. like that, and then they bomb that. Or they go and attack it. It's, it's crazy. It's... Okay, so again, you know, when I, when I hear you speaking like this, it's just, you know one of the reasons we started this podcast is because mm. we want to be able to take some kind of positive action. But, you know, the, the, the figures are overwhelming and the, and the, the situation is, 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 well, it's, yeah, it, it's almost paralysing to be sitting here and thinking, well, what can I do? Well, it is. Um, I mean, the one thing that did happen in the week, which, which was a positive action, was that uh, Antonio Guterres, the Secretary, Secretary General of the United Nations, called for a special resolution. And that was the first time he's... As a Secretary General, he has a special power to do that. But it's only been used once before. Oh, wow. And he said um, he wanted to have a meeting of the Security Council and to implement a permanent ceasefire. Now, the overwhelming majority of the United Nations members have wanted this since the fighting began, mm -hmm. but it's been vetoed by some of the permanent members of the United Nations Security Council, uh, notably United States, United Kingdom and France. However, this time, 13 members of the 15-member Security Council voted in favour, including Russia, China and France, which is pretty amazing to get these mm. guys on the same side. Mm. The UK abstained, which finally I'm delighted, having come from the UK, mm. um, but the USA used its veto. So, therefore, nothing is done. One country has this power to veto... I'm not sure how many nations there are in the United Nations, 190 or something like that. Mm. It can stop the other 190. Incidentally, Israel isn't a member of the United Nations which says something. And why not? 
Um, because I think the United Nations has been criticising it since... Adam was a cowboy. <laughs> since it's been, um, yes. It's, the it's modern been, state. It's been invading uh, Palestine since its inception. So at the start of this podcast series, we talked about the United Nations as being something, um, I think you used the term reboot, or a bit of a factory reset, I think was the phrase that you used. Yes, yes. Because currently it doesn't seem to be able to function. It doesn't, it can't take action. You know, in some ways it's done some very good things we said before in terms of like, helping get rid of some diseases, things like that, and it's good with refugees and things like that. But, you know, it needs to be stopping the refugees, you know. They're going to have another two million probably from Gaza. Well, it depends if they survive. It may may not be many at all, actually. Um, So they're kind of at the bottom of the cliff when actually they've got the power to be at the top of the cliff and stop them being pushed over. So... The, the Security Council, you know, and this was the original thing about the United Nations, was to settle things peacefully or send in neutral peacekeeping troops. Mm. But if we look at the history, just to give you a brief history of these five countries, yeah. the USA since 1945 invaded Korea, Cuba, Vietnam, Afghanistan and Iraq. The Russia stroke USSR invaded Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Afghanistan, Chechnya, Georgia and Ukraine. <laughs> the UK invaded Egypt, Iraq and generally backs the USA. Mm. France invaded Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Egypt and Algeria. And also since this time these countries have been involved either directly or indirectly in countless conflicts around the world either by direct intervention or by sending what they call military aid. With with, uh, quotation marks. Well, I put the quotation marks. They don't. They see it as aid. Yeah. Um, In fact, I looked at one... I can't remember what it was, but there was one book that's been written about it, and it said there's only three countries where America has not intervened in that government's politics. Now, when I travelled in Israel, um, it was apparent just how tightly aligned Israel and the US were. I think um, the, the US was, was by far the greatest um, financial provider, resource provider, weapons provider for Israel right throughout their whole history. Yeah. So um, what did the US say about this? Why did it veto? Well, it said it didn't want a ceasefire. It wanted a permanent end of the war which would only come by destroying Hamas. And while you could probably argue, yes, that's a very lofty goal... I wouldn't call it lofty. Well, you know what I mean. It's, <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's a big-tented statement, which means, yes, continue business as usual. Well, what it means in their terms is that Israel just continues um, killing hundred, well, hundreds and thousands of people. Uh, they're... They're just collateral damage, which we talked about before. Mm. But, you know, what you're going to do is actually when you when you start killing all these people, you're going to create another 100,000 Hamas terrorists. You know, mm. if my dad, my uncle, uh, my mother, my grandmother, my auntie or my sister or something like that has been killed, what am I going to do? Mm. There's a fair likelihood I'm going to... 
want to get revenge. I mean, this is what Israel's doing. Israel's taking revenge for what happened, although it, it's done some pretty nasty things over the years, which maybe we should have a look at. Yeah, because I think um, it's it's quite easy to just focus on the current conflict. Yeah. And um, and I think I talked about this in, in um, our planning stages or even in the first episode. There's a, there's a lot of counter-narratives um, floating around and um, we're in no way taking sides in this conflict. What we're about is about um, the humanitarian um, ideals of everyone should be able to live in peace and yeah. be able to safely be, you know, be a human on planet Earth. And, and I am, you know, coming more to this sense of the, the two-nation state is the best solution because I don't think the Israelis are actually capable of being humanly kind to the Palestinians. It's mm. kind of, they, kind of, they actually label them, Netanyahu called them animals. Mm. Um, mm. You know, the, the, the actual propaganda they have is terrible. And I mean, I'm just not saying that Hamas doesn't have propaganda too, mm. but the Israeli one is horrendous. When you actually see them speak, it's like you can't believe it, these fellow human beings. Mm. But it, and this frightening thing is it's becoming more and more similar to what the Nazis did against the Jews and the propaganda they used. Yeah, and there's a the, there's a lot of talk of and a lot of the the reportage is is beginning to turn in terms of um, a genocide of a systematic yes. wiping out. And um, I think who was it who came out this week and 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 said that um, there was a politician who uh, oh, it's just gone out of my head. Oh, it was uh, Damien O'Connor. Oh, yeah. uh, he spoke in the in the parliament this week. Um, saying, you know, it, it seemed quite ironic that um, the Israeli state, having only in the last, you know, 70, 80 years experienced much the same um, treatment, would would um, would be doing so. And it, it is horrendous when you see these photos now coming out where they're going into the refugee camps, meant to be safe places. Mm. The Israeli Defence Force is going in there, taking the men out. You see pictures of them, they're stripped blindfolded, taken off in lorries, and then shot. Sometimes they're not shot even in long distance, they're shot actually in front of their families. And that is so reminiscent of what the Nazis did okay. when there was a, a somebody, um, what we call them, resistance fighters. Now, at the risk of being antagonistic, mm. how well verified are these things that you're saying? Uh, you know, because I haven't seen that stuff th thrown at me through the media. Uh, Someone listening to this might just say, well, you know, it, there's, there's, there's a wee bit of hyperabola around the, the reporting. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I've seen pictures. Of, I haven't seen them actually being shot, but I have seen pictures of them naked, blindfolded, crouching on the ground. Mm. with soldiers behind them mm. um, and it, it, it's a report from some Palestinians so you're probably right say it's not there but on the other hand yeah um, the the other side Israel is not showing any of that no uh, yeah <laughs> funny that 
Okay. So I guess um, my main point is probably about, you know, um, trying to be as objective as, as I possibly can and, and not... Um, you know, I mean, we've seen so much from the United States of America in the last eight years to make us, you know, really be critical about what is being put in front of us and what we're seeing. Mm. Um, and maybe that's something that we can talk about in, in another episode is about, you know, who are the most trustworthy sources of information and, and, and how can we be sure we're seeing exactly what's happening? Yeah. Because as you say, if you are able to put a dome over a country and make sure that none of that information can get out, anything could be happening. Well, that's why they're targeting the Palestinian journalists. Yeah. You know, it's actually yeah. it's a definite policy. Yeah. And maybe someone listening to us out there might know who, who are those people to yeah. speak to. But, um, oh, boy, that's quite a big week, really, isn't it, Bing? It is, it is, you know, and there was so much hope that actually it would stop, you know, this is about humanity, you know, and it's also horrendous, you know, for the Israelis, like it may say, you know, at the moment we're focusing more on the Palestinians because they're having a horrendous time. At the moment, since October the 8th, about 400 Israelis have been killed in this conflict and they're all soldiers. Yeah. I don't think there's one civilian. So the collateral damage from Hamas now is nil. Yeah. Um, but for the Israelis, it must be horrendous because, you know, 76% of the Israelis actually wanted Netanyahu out and they're now involved in a conflict led by this person they don't like. He's trying to make himself a dictator by getting rid of the Supreme Court. There have been massive demonstrations, 100,000 people, mm. and they're now having to fight a battle for this government that they hate doing inhumane things and you know it's like this you know the this poor soldiers who are doing this thing or seeing this thing witnessing this uh, you know their lives are going to be ruined you know they're not going to be able to live a, a uh, you know we know the effects PTSD we've seen it yeah and, and as I, always and I, it's the young men yeah who they send out mm-hmm. and to do the dirty work yeah Okay, well, on that very sombre note, it's probably um, a good time for us to wrap up, but um, it looks like you've got one other thing you want to say. Well, just one thing. I think that the world opinion is is still increasing. The actual opinion and marches, like I saw a programme the other night and it was showing huge marches in places like Mexico, Chile, England has got Mm. huge marches, you know. in some of the Arab states, there's huge marches. You know, it's like it's all around the world. This has become a, a multinational thing. And in America, there are huge marches. And there are still Jews in America getting arrested for protesting, for saying, can we have peace? And I guess um, what we talked about last week is that, you know, the more people can sort of um, mobilise and get out on the street and... How many people would you say were in our city protesting this week? I don't know, three to four hundred, something like okay. that. Okay. So, and it's going to happen every Sunday, is it? Saturday. Every Saturday. At two o'clock. At two o'clock. At the museum. Okay. So, um, yeah. So there are, there are millions of people around the world, actually. This is, this is it's, it's okay. actually got this cause because it's so... it's so in our face. You know, we actually see it. It's not like, oh, this happened in... Rwanda or it's happened in 
Cambodia or it's happened somewhere else five years ago, it's actually happening in this moment and we see it. Well, maybe it's nice to finish on a small ray of light that, you know, if all human beings came together and mm. um, took action and, and got on their feet and got out there, you know, maybe something might change. It could be just enough to convince our politicians to stand up and say no. And, and if enough nations say no... Yeah, and, and it may be your letter that tips the balance to our politicians, yeah. to Christopher Luxon, to Winston Peters, to David Seymour, to... Whomever your elected officials are, get in touch with them and yeah, get up on your feet and get out there and um, support... Write a letter hum- or an email. And support humanity. Support humanity, that's right. Well, may you be well, may you be happy, may you live with ease. Thank you very much, Brent. Object Thanks, Kevin. To make people everywhere conscious of the importance of human rights You're listening to the Caravan of Hope podcast. Peace, safety and well-being for every human being on Earth. Let them be justice for all. Let there be peace for all. Let there be work, bread, water, and salt for all.